15 years ago, a fat package full of money arrived into the Christian aid offices. It was addressed to help fight a flood. A flood worse than any like it in the previous four centuries of the city which it hit. The inhabitants of the city had water levels at 18 feet. Repairing costs were in the millions, and many livelihoods were destroyed. The pain and suffering of that flood was heard the world over. The city to which that fat package of money that landed in the Christian aid offices, the city to which it was addressed, was ours. It was the city of York. And the donors were a generous group of Mozambicans. The same year they'd had a big flood too. A flood, a flood on levels unimaginable to ours. You see, their flood had been at 26 feet in five days. 800 lives were lost. And $500 million of damage was done. The reason they sent the money is because we'd sent money to them. And they wanted to do something in return. They may not have had all the resources, but I think that small group of Mozambicans showed something of God's heart for our city. And they also showed that you can never be too poor, never too busy, never too lost or confused or uneducated or anything to be involved in Jesus' most, his biggest plans for our world. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, it's the prostitutes who become icons. It's the Samaritans that save Jews. And in Jesus' kingdom, it's the Mozambicans that are the aid givers. Now, it's something we often forget when we're looking at such a big problem like aid and global justice and stuff that we don't have all the answers and we actually have very few of them. We in the West don't have the resources to sort out the problem. But it's also a great starting place to know that. Because when we know that, we can go straight to God and ask, how is this going to work? How do we start? We are so weak and inadequate in this. This series is called Magnetic Church. And we've been over the last few weeks looking at different ways that we can love the poor and do mission. And we've been trying to understand how that, that looks to the outside world. How they feel about it, how they feel about us. Now with something so big as global injustice, we have to realise that we don't have the answer. And that's really hard. That's really hard because with mission and local stuff, we can kind of figure out, oh, well, maybe this works and this works. But with aid, often so little of it does. It's a really sad truth that those countries that have often got the most aid are the ones who've had the least economic growth in the last 20 years. Part of the reason is because 
Our aid often isn't actually to help the greatest need. Often the reason governments give aid is in order to prop up dictatorships that are allies. So, for example, if an African country is anti-communist or pro-Israel, then it gets a lot of aid. That was the situation in Vietnam. That's why it all went so bad, because there were, Americans are trying to prop up a dictatorship using aid, and it wasn't working, and they had to send in troops. You see, aid is a really, really complicated thing. And that's not going to get solved tonight, as Gav was saying. But I think we can, we do have a starting place. We can do something. And like those Mozambicans, though we may be scrabbling scraps of cash together to give to people that we'll, we'll never meet, never really understand, we can still show something of God's heart to the world. Now, where I'm going to go with this, I'm going to take us into 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 16. Because I think if we look at that, we can get an idea, and in this context, of how we might begin to start dealing with something like global injustice. However huge that is, and however complicated, we've actually got a starting place. We've got a saviour who knows us and loves us, and wants us to be involved in this. So let's open 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 16. It's on, it's on page 851. And it starts with affirmation. 1 Peter 2, verses 9-16. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though may, they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now this passage has a huge amount to tell us about how we think about global justice. And it may be surprising, it really does. It gives us a real step forwards. The first thing it tells us is love God. This is going to be a three-point sermon. There are three points out of this. One, love God. Two, love the state. And three, we can start thinking about loving the poor at the very start of injustice. So the first thing is love God. This passage tells us about who you are, who you are in God's sight, who he wants you to be, 
how he wants you to know each other. He says you're his special possession. He says you're a chosen people. When we're thinking about aid and we're thinking about these huge problems, the place we start is going from where God says you are, from who God says you are. Not the people you think you ought to be. Often when I think we get tied up in knots when we think about something like aid. We think either we have to be some kind of missionary or something and go work in Africa because that's the right thing to do and that might sort something out, but we don't want to do that because it sounds horrible. Or, or we decide that, okay, well, I'll, I'll just give money because I don't get this. I don't get it at all. Someone else might. I don't get it. So we're just going to give money. This passage takes us to a different starting place. It doesn't take us to the people that we think we should be. It takes us to the place where God says, this is who you are. He says you're his special possession, that he loves you. You see, the myriad of divine and human beauty is not summed up in those Mozambicans donation to us. Of course it isn't. And it's also not summed up in our donation to them. If we're really going to be serious about doing something about this, if you're going to respond when, they, when that tug of compassion comes to your heart, when you see something on the news or, in, or on the ra- I hear it on the radio, see it on the internet, when you see the devastation or poverty, if you're going to be able to respond, you're going to have to go to God first. Because this stuff is so hard. But he loves you. He says, you are his special possession. Go to him. Find out who you are. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, who I am is, I don't know, a school teacher or a refuse collector or a youth worker. Well, and and so what what does that have to do with something like global justice or poverty? It doesn't really have to do anything, does it? Well, I'll tell you my own story of how I came to understand this, okay? So... (laughs) In my third year of university, I was doing a paper about how nations tie together and the way in which nations can oppress other nations. I was doing a paper on poverty. And I suddenly realised that this is actually something I really should do. I, I felt like, oh man, this is horrible, I didn't really know about this. I mean, maybe, I should, maybe I should go live in rural Africa. I don't want to do that, but maybe I'm supposed to. Well, I'd searched more, and I realised actually I didn't have to do that. Because God was making me into someone else. I was at a Christian festival that year, and the guy came up to me and said, I think what God's got for you is not being in some poor village. It's actually that you're called in some way to see the macro picture, the big picture of what's going on, and in that way you can help most. And increasingly, I found that there was that tug on my heart that I know we've all felt in some way when we see some real need or desperation. That tug on my heart was beginning to match up, it was beginning to match up with who God was telling me I am, which is really quite bookish. Now, I don't think everyone has to be some fusty old academic. You don't have to be like me. This is not like an example of, okay, well, the response is, I need to become more like, like more learned, because then I can do something good. And the response, the response is, learn who you are. 
If you really care about this stuff, God is not going to keep it in separate compartments. He sees you as a whole. He loves you as a child. So if he sees you as a whole and loves you as a child, he's going to want to take your desires and love for the poor and all your skills and abilities and say, these can match up in his plan. These can match up. So let's go into the next bit. So we've got love God. That's the first place we start from when we're thinking about something like global justice. Number two, love the state. Now this is a bit of a hard one and a bit of a weird one. But Peter says, he starts with saying, submit yourselves to the authorities. He's talking to an incredibly persecuted church. He's talking to a church who's only just blossoming, whose saviour has died and been executed by the government in an incredibly barbaric way, and they're scared. They're really scared. Either they think, well, we've got to fight this, or we've got to run away. We can't, we can't just do nothing. And Peter says, submit. Now, what I think he's done is he's learned something that he, that he was going through with Jesus. When Jesus was being taken away by the Roman guards, Peter threw out his sword and chops off one of the guards' ears. And Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. This is the moment where the state is most oppressive, where the government is most terrifying. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away? What? Peter's learned this lesson. He's learned that obedience and love is the better way to respond. And he's teaching it to this community and undergoing real hardship. Now why is this important? It's important because if we start with loving God, then we can step out. And the next step in this passage is loving the state. It's loving in a political way. It's loving in a messy and complex world. And it's loving in the place where injustice actually begins. And my third point is love the poor. Because if you can love God, and if you can learn to love the state, which is going to be really hard, we can learn to love the poor. Peter says, drown out the foolish talk of the ignorant with your goodness. With your goodness. A lot of the reasons for global injustice are related to bad governments. They're related to state politics. They're also related to international politics. This isn't just about bad governance within poor countries, it's bad governance as a whole. You see, that's where injustice starts. That's where it's perpetuated. At the trade table where the country doesn't have good enough lawyers. At the bargaining process with food where they can't say, well, we're the biggest importers, can you in some way lower the prices? This is where injustice begins. So I'll take one example that I think most of you might know. And so it's that of Ebola. Do you remember the Ebola outbreak? It kind of happened very quickly and then it sort of seems to disappear for a bit. Well, Ebola was a bit of a mess up from beginning to end. So within Ebola, within the outbreak, 
There were loads of problems, international charities going in, they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't really know the people very well, and the, and the disease spread very quickly. Now, there are loads of times where they did not connect to those people because they did not understand them. The place, though, where that all began was not in the messiness of the outbreaks. It was years before. It was years before when, <coughs> when in the World Bank, one of the biggest kind of <coughs> structures of world governance, when they decided that Sierra Leone needs to have a much smaller economy, and they decided, a much smaller state, and they decided that foreign multinationals would effectively be able to go in and not need to pay a huge amount of tax. So it's a really complicated situation, but if I try and explain that Sierra Leone, which is where Ebola was worst, had lost 14% of its entire economy, that's a huge amount of all its money, it lost it through taxes to foreign companies. So when, they came, when these companies come in and they do things, they weren't paying, they weren't paying their fair share, all right? And so the problem with this is that Sierra Leone therefore wasn't able to build a healthcare system. Over a long period of time, they were not able to build up the kind of clinics and doctors and practices that would have stopped a boulder in the first place. You see, when we think about giving money, yeah, that's a great response. The immediate need has to have an immediate financial donation. I can understand that. That's a good response. It's a compassionate response. But if you want to stop it happening in the first place, you're going to have to step into a certain kind of messy and political world where, as I say, injustice really begins. So, the first thing, if we're going to actually think about how we sort out this messy world of poverty and you can do it, is go to God, find out who you are. The second thing is love the state. In the messiest world of politics, go in and love the state. Stand up for goodness. Advocate for the poor. The third thing is go to where injustice begins. Step out where injustice begins and say, no. In some way, we can all in some way say no to a poor country getting a really raw deal. Now you may be thinking, okay, well I've got a really busy life, I can't be stepping into politics, this is like, this is absolutely stupid. You have your head in the clouds, right? I understand that, I understand that not everybody's going to be able to sit at the trading table and talk about Sierra Leone, that's not what I want you to do. But what I'd like to think about is, if you really care about this stuff, and you can, you can care about it without feeling guilty without feeling scared and inadequate, you really can care about it. Remember that we're a bit like those Mozambicans. They just wanted to show something of God's heart to the world. And you can do that. But first go to God. Then step outside. Step outside into the political world. And third, start ending injustice.